What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, 
no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, welcome to part three of four, the odds and ends of 1993. Some fun, random songs to play for you in alphabetical order as we build up to the top albums of 1993 countdown. It's going to be a lot of fun. First, let's get through these two parts here of the odds and ends. We kick things off with something from a really cool cover album release from 1993 called Flashback. That was, of course, the unmistakable voice of Joan Jett covering the unmistakable Alice Cooper classic, Be My Lover. And I say Joan Jett, not Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, because this was not totally all the Blackhearts playing on this, because this performance was originally recorded for a Joan Jett solo album, which was an all-covers album that came out in 1990 called The Hit List. And that particular version of Be My Lover did not make the cut that year, which is kind of weird. And it definitely could have fit on the album, but they just didn't include it. There were a handful of songs like that. They made it onto the flashback Rarities compilation in 1993. So I had never heard this version prior to that album coming out, and I'd always heard that she had covered the song. I was always anxious to hear her version of Be My Lover. Finally got to hear it on flashback. There's a bunch of other really cool stuff on here that you should definitely seek out. A really fun song on there that I like called Hide and Seek that I had to unfortunately cut off of this episode. It's got her doing Light of Day. It's got her doing basically like a rewrite of the Sex Pistols EMI. A handful of cool originals and also the original demo of I Love Rock and Roll, which she recorded with the Sex Pistols backing her up. So a lot of cool reasons to go check out the flashback record. Some covers, some originals. It's Joan Jett. It's a good old time. And speaking of a good old time right here, this next one, easily from my most anticipated release probably of the entirety of 1993. At that point, for damn sure this was. Following the recording and the preamble and the release and all the appearances that involved with it, I was definitely all in on this release. And no surprise here, it was for Kiss Alive 3. Alive 3 finally became a reality. The first official Kiss Live album released in my lifetime. That's how long we waited between 2 and 3 as fans, right? And just a chance to finally hear live audio of this particular lineup playing songs. And after the unfortunate never getting to see this tour because the tour got canceled right before they were supposed to play in Dallas. So Alive 3, hell of a consolation prize. I do remember some of the things going into the release. Gene Simmons talking a big game saying that they were going to put a bunch of inserts in it and stuff like that. And they never did. They only came through with a couple of things like having a family tree listing and some other stuff. But it was underwhelming as far as the packaging versus what was promised on the front end. It had been really cool. Like, I know that they did a little bit of a drop of merch for the 30th anniversary of Alive 3 right at the top of the year. And I remember actually I was out of town and I woke up to seeing that announcement. I actually missed on some of the stuff that I would have bought. But it would have been nice if they'd actually come correct with the said box set of things to make this a really cool release for the fans. And unfortunately, they did not do that. That would have been the best. Can I hold out? And do you think that the odds are good that they're going to compile all of the covers intended for Kiss My Ass on a box set next year for the anniversary? Yeah, I, I doubt it too, but wouldn't it be nice? 
be great, wouldn't it? But back to Alive 3. Musically, I think it rules. I still love listening to Alive 3. And it's definitely one of my favorite live albums of all time. As a kind of a weird Kiss fan, I like it a lot better than Alive 2. But that's probably a lot due to the fact that I didn't grow up with Alive 2. And I was growing up with Alive 3. So there you have it. But Alive 3 is awesome. If you haven't heard it in a while, go listen to it. If you never heard it, then you gotta listen to it. And I'm gonna play this version. I don't think I've ever played it on the show, even though it is so, so good. The single they went with to service for radio was this one right here. And the rationale, I remember them saying, when it came out as a single originally, it didn't really take off. And it was at a weird period in the band. And radio wouldn't really accept it. And MTV didn't really play it a whole lot. So the idea was to give it a second chance about a decade later. And I was thinking that this was really going to be a big single for him on radio. But unfortunately, it was not. But it still sounds massive and monstrous, and it's just, I never get sick of it. It's such a basic-ass song, but it really is one of the best Kiss songs ever, if not a top-five Kiss song. So, from Alive 3, this is I Love It Loud. Turn it up. Take me to the 
yeah, yeah. I love it loud. Right between the eyes. No. Yes, that was I Love It Loud from Alive 3. Kiss Alive 3, to be exact. Never get sick of it. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you had it turned up and you're waving your hands in the air like I was. Not sure exactly what venue or what city that version is from. So the idea of when they recorded it, Eddie Kramer, who had done the other two live albums, so it made sense to have Eddie on board. They wanted to go back to the cities from the original Alive and record them all there in a roundabout way, or at least nearby where they recorded those. Cleveland, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Detroit, Michigan. And also I know that when they played those particular shows, what they did just in case they needed something to punch in. I guess the idea was they didn't want them to go into the studio later on and punch stuff in because that makes it a little less of a live album. But they recorded the first third in the first town and then the middle part of the show in the second town and then the last third in the third town during sound check. So they recorded each of those three shows and they did a full third of each show before each show. Interesting way to do it, but I think that's actually kind of cool. They're on the same stage in the same town. If you got to punch it in, use those. Why not? I think that's kind of smart, actually. And not only did Eddie Kramer produce and mix the album, but the album also was additionally mixed by former Cobras and Fire guest, Garth Richardson. So, yes, I'm going to get a Cobras and Fire reference in on each one of these odds and ends just because I feel like it. And you should listen to it. Yes, let's go into another live album that also, at least during this song, would have some pyro going off, much like Kiss. I actually saw this song live, and it had more pyro and bombs than almost any particular individual Kiss song I've seen. Pretty close, at least. Talking about Paul McCartney, believe it or not, Paul had a another double live album come out in 1983, only about two or three years after his previous double live album. This one is called Paul is Live, which, of course, is a nice little jab at the Paul is Dead theorists. And they even parody that on the album cover where he's walking down the same Abbey Road Street. This is definitely print shopped because he's walking a dog and the dog is carrying him away. And apparently there's a few Easter eggs that they toss into the album cover just to kind of make fun of the Paul is Dead thing. But yes, Paul is Live. Much like some of these other live albums recorded at different shows all over the country or all over the world, if you will. And it's a nice album. Unfortunately, he's on tour for a pretty bad, one of his worst albums, honestly, Off the Ground, I think it's called. Uh, Spoiler, that will also not be on the album's countdown for this year. Uh, It's really, really bad. So, yeah, not gonna do it. But let's at least play something for this guy right here, this legend, this icon, something off of Paul is Live. And I was talking about the pyre before, and this is the song to feature it. This is the great Live and Let Die. When you were young and your heart was an open book, it used to say. Live and let die. Live and let die. Live and let die. Live and let die. 
Paul McCartney right there from Paul is Live with Live and Let Die. I, I'm i not the biggest solo Paul authority, especially during this solo, solo period post-Wings. So I don't know if he was not playing Live and Let Die. I'm assuming he was still playing Live and Let Die at all of his tours. I don't think it was really the case that Guns N' Roses brought it back so much. Although Guns N' Roses definitely put that song in my consciousness. But yeah, there you go. Live and Let Die, live in Boulder, Colorado. So there you have it. It's not an absolutely 100% recommended live album, but if you skip around to the good songs and not so much the new songs, then you'll be all right. And whether it's on this live album or just in general, avoid Biker Like an Icon at all costs. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then good for you. You're living your best possible life. Never listen to that song. Okay, let's do a twofer right here because it makes sense. Even though I'm going A to Z, these next two bands go hand in hand because there's history here. So I'll let the other one be a surprise, but you'll probably be able to figure it out. This is definitely one of my all-time favorite songs by this band, but also definitely in the top songs for me, period, for the year 1993. So I definitely must include this here in the odds and ends. And this is the second of two songs that I'm playing here on this four-parter from the Last Action Hero soundtrack. We kicked off the entire thing with Big Gun by ACDC in part one. And so let's go to the third song on the soundtrack. My favorite song on the whole thing, let's just say it. And that's it's actually got a couple of bangers on that soundtrack. But this is my favorite song on the whole record. So let's get into it right here. This is Megadeth with Angry Again. Yeah. 
All right. That's a hell of a heavy metal double shot right there. Kicking things off with Megadeth, or Megadave as I like to call him. That was Angry Again from the last Action Hero soundtrack. And we finished things off with Sad But True. Yes, by Metallica, Dave Mustaine's former bandmates, representing the ultra-mega-epic box set live shit, Binge and Purge. That was definitely the metal Christmas item of the year. Three CDs, was it two or three VHS tapes at the time, a stencil, uh, a big book, and inside a replica-looking road case, a mini road case. Great package. As a fan of packaging... That's one of the top ones right there. I actually never owned that version. I wish I had. I think I had a few chances back in my CD Warehouse days. But I do have the shrunken down version, the new version. Which, format-wise and sound-wise, it is better. Because it's the three CDs, two DVDs now. So, I do have that. But I never got that road case. So, oh well. But I, I always really liked the live version of Sad But True, especially from that tour. They seemed to kind of lay in a little bit on it, on the groove, slow it down just a little bit. And that staccato part in the chorus that is on the record is not really on the live version. They changed it a little bit because I'm sure they tried to rehearse it and it was a nightmare and you couldn't lock it in properly. But I always liked hearing Sad But True live. It's one of my favorite Metallica songs anyway, so it just makes sense to play. But yes, I actually recently did a top to bottom of live shit and i think i've only done that maybe two or three times ever in my lifetime it's a long journey but it's a hell of a show i gotta say just the ultimate in fan service that was live in mexico city i think they did like seven nights there or something crazy like that and that's where that live album was taped and all that kind of stuff so yes the mighty met sad but true and how's this? I was complaining about transitions, as I do sometimes in these A to Z odds and ends episodes. But let's just say, Sabbath True and this next song, at one point and one time in musical history, both of these songs were played at the exact same concert. I'm talking about the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. So yes, Metallica opened up the day. And Sabatru was in their mini set. And then later on, James Hetfield came out and did at least Stone Cold Crazy with the band. I do remember that. And I'm not sure the order of things at that point. But at some point, George Michael came out and did a mini set with Queen. And really was one of the things that stole the show from the entire day. And I, I'll even say that as well. I think there were some real standout performances that day. I always talk about Extremes Medley. Also, of course, Bowie and Annie Lennox doing Under Pressure never fails to get at least a tear out of my eye. But yeah, George Michael coming in and just owning it. And to the point where at that time, me and a lot of people were saying, you know, if those guys insist on going out again and being a live band, then George is probably the guy to do it. Never happened, but would have been pretty good. It would have been a lot better than what we have now, let's just say. But why am I talking about something from a gig that's not from 1993? Well, the George Michael EP called Five Live was officially released in 1993, and this was the first time that we were able to purchase some audio from the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, and of course includes this right here, the show-stopping half cover, because Queen is the backing band on here, of George Michael 
doing Somebody to Love. Here you go. Thank you very much. This song is one of my favorites. It's called Somebody to Love.
All right, yes. Nice chill-inducing performance right there. Somebody to love. George Michael on lead vocals right there being backed up by Roger May. Roger May? (laughs) Roger Taylor, Brian May, and as far as I know, the last ever performance of John Deacon and Queen. John Deacon having some integrity there. But yes, I digress. Somebody to Love from Five Live. It also has the duet that he did with Lisa Stansfield on there. These are the days of our lives. And I think something else from that set that night. And there's like another live track to round it out. He does a cover of Papa Was a Rolling Stone on there. So it's an interesting EP. Even if you're not a big George Michael guy, Five Live is an interesting release right there. Okay. I'm going to actually play a song that was part of the sessions for an album that I am not including on my album's countdown coming up. I even talked about this on the previous episode, and I don't know why I'm including this. I guess just because it's decently rare at this point. It's not on an official release that you can really get a hold of unless you go like on eBay and buy a CD single, probably for way too much money, but... I was trashing the Poison Native Tongue record on the previous episode when I played CC's version of Hey Good Lookin'. And I still stand by the fact that I do not like Native Tongue. But that being said, I'm going to play the B-side from the launch single Stand. And I initially thought that this was a Japanese bonus track, but no, it's it's not. It's just the B-side for Stand. And I guess the other reason I'm including is because... I guess it's comparable to what's on Native Tongue. This is probably a little bit better than some of the songs on there. And by itself, and without having to listen to that hour of just not-so-good stuff, you know, on its own, it's fine. So, yeah, I'm really building this up. But yes, I'm going to include it here just as kind of a way to... You know what? Actually, fuck all that. Let's just do this one right here. I shouldn't have to subject you to substandard shit on my show, so here you go. Ozzy Osbourne, Live and Loud, 1993. This is Flying High Again. Let's go.
All right, yes, Ozman right there, flying high again from 1993's double live album, Live and Loud. This is one of those moments I just had personally recording this show where something happened and I saved the show and made it a little better. Whew, man, because I almost really screwed up. I had 41 songs lined up for the odds and ends and didn't realize it. I double, triple checked this thing, but I must have dropped something in last minute and forgot to take something out very last minute. So instead of whipping your ass with a poison B-side from Native Tongue, you got Ozzy instead. Let's just roll with that. So you're welcome. I'm sorry that I even almost did that. And it's fitting that we're talking about a live album because I was able to punch that in and go back a segment and a half and save the show. And Ozzy's always here to save the day. Flying high again. Live and loud. That was supposed to be the final farewell for Ozzy. I'm honestly glad it wasn't. Because if he had hung it up right then and there, I would have never got to see him live. And that would be disastrous. So yes, I'm glad that Ozzy didn't hang it up in 91. He probably should have hung it up sometime, eh, probably about 12, 13 years ago, let's say. Let's say after the 2010 tour. That would have been a good time to bow out. Because it's looking rough for Ozzy. I hate to say that. He's going to try to tour again next year, apparently, or at least play some shows next year. And Godspeed, Ozzy. You're still putting out quality material, but you don't owe us anything else. You really don't. Okay. All right. So let's go back to what I was actually going to talk about. And in order to save this particular segment, let's go back to me apologizing to you for playing that Poison track. We'll just ignore that apology. And we'll get into the next song right here. Take it away, Joey, from the past. Okay, thanks for listening to that. Let's get to the next one. I'm going to reward you now for having patience there. I'm going to reward you with one of my favorite songs from one of the greatest performers and artists of all time in 1993. There is a hell of a lot of turmoil going on between Prince and Warner Brothers Records. You couldn't even hear anybody mention Prince's name without talking about all the battling that he was doing with Warner. And so the idea right now is Prince is in the process of doing the whole name change thing, which, yeah, who was a fan of that? Obviously I wasn't, but here's the thing. This is the really funny part about this is Warner had wanted to put out a best of, or like a multi-disc best of set at the dawn of the nineties. And Prince was going full bore with launching the new power generation. So Prince got his way. Instead of a best of, he got to put out another new album. And so once he had fallen out of love with Warner and vice versa, Warner decided in 93 that they were going to go ahead. And no matter what Prince was doing or threatening to do, they were going to put out a best of set. And they tripled down on it. They wanted to do a three CD box set. And it would be the hits and the B-sides with Hits disc one being a little more pop and family friendly. Hits two being a little more dirty. Actually a lot more dirty. And the third one was B-Sides. And that was going to get the hardcore fans to buy it. Because any misgivings that hardcore fans might have been about supporting the guy himself and not buying the Warner product totally went away with the announcement of the B-Sides disc three. Because we all wanted that compiled. And it's not even all of them. But it's most of them. So we were all excited about the B-Sides as fans, so we all bought it. I still own mine for sure, waiting on that vinyl of the B-Sides collection. But anyway, that all being said, one of the weirdest moves ever 
is the fact that Prince was basically just like, okay, you're going to do this. Well, obviously I'm going to get involved with it. And Warner was like, no, we do not want you involved in this at all. So the story goes, they basically paid Prince not to be involved with this hits collection. They paid him money to go away and not bother them with this. Although at least they did make a consensus with each other that Prince would add in a few new songs. I think that was the case because I just don't see him giving up these new songs without a battle. So there was the Pope and there was this song right here, which is just a slamming home run. One of the greatest Prince songs of all time. So from Hits 2 officially of the whole Hits and B-Sides three disc box set, this is Peach.
by Peach right there by Prince. I'm assuming it's Prince in the New Power Generation, just judging by how it sounds. But yes, one of the great kind of lost Prince songs, honestly. It's a true odd and end because it only ever got officially released on that Hits collection. I actually love that song so much. I have a two-disc import maxi single for it with a bunch of cool extra stuff on it. And by the way, in case you were curious, and some of us guys are, that is Kim Basinger's voice uh, doing the moans and groans on that song that's looped around there. And from what I understand, those may not be fake, let's just say. Okay, from Prince to another one of my favorite acts of all time, from two completely different schools of thought, I bring you the Ramones in 1993. The Ramones uh, were in the midst of putting out a handful of their last releases. And I know this one is definitely not a popular album amongst most fans and whatever. It just seemed like no one really cared about this release. I thought it was really neat, but maybe just the fact that they had done a lot of covers over their career, this might've been just a bit anticlimactic, I guess, to their fan base, but I enjoy it pretty well. It's a Ramones title. They really don't have anything bad out there as far as I'm concerned. But yes, they put out a conceptual covers album. It's the only time you would ever feel like any deep concept by the Ramones ever. So they made a concept out of their covers album, and it's all songs that they grew up on that influenced them from a particular era of 60s psychedelic and garage rock. The one that would have stuck out just a bit actually did get cut off the record is a cover of the Beach Boys' Surf and Safari. It got cut off of the domestic release, but it was a bonus track for international markets. So check that down. I almost played that, but I was like, I need to play something from the proper album. So let's go with this one right here. This song also, for you Alice Cooper fans, will recognize that Alice is a big fan of this song and covered it back on his Special Forces album. This song was originally recorded by the band Love and... Just to show how far the reach of influence goes on this song and how important this song is to rock history and any band that's remotely cool loves this song. So not only has Alice covered it, and obviously you're about to hear the Ramones covered it, but even years later, Rush did an excellent cover of this as well. So go track that down. And I'm an Alice guy, and I would say Alice has the worst cover of those three. Uh, The Ramones one is fun, just like you would expect, and the Rush one is excellent. But... Before you get to all those versions, check out the Ramones version of 7 and 7 Is from the Acid Eaters collection. Enjoy. Yeah. 
Okay, yes, all right. Seven and Seven Is right there. Originally by Love, performed right there by the Ramones off of their conceptual covers album, Acid Eaters. Hope you enjoyed that. What's not to love about Seven and Seven Is? And we're going to close off this particular part of the odds and ends today in the show with this true oddity right here from the Scorpions. Yes, that was that was not a great one. Let me try it again. Scorpions! All right, it's a little bit better. But yes, so the Scorpions had put a record out in 1993. We may be talking about that on the album's countdown coming up here. But there were some B-sides some international bonus tracks, a lot of stuff to speak of when it came to songs that didn't make the cut of the actual record, especially the one that got released in the States. So I think there's about four songs floating around from the Face the Heat sessions. And it's one of those things, like once I saw the list of songs, and I, I think I've actually played the ghost track off of this on the show before. They do a cover of Elvis's Marie's The Name of His Latest Flame. I think I've played that on the show before. So I didn't play that, but also it's kind of part of the album anyway, so it doesn't really belong on the odds and ends list. Ghost tracks are an interesting thing. I've done an episode on those before, so that doesn't go here on this episode. And the other songs on there are fine. There's actually one that's sung in Japanese exclusively, so I may do that on a future episode. But you see a song title like this, and like, well, I have to play this. So this song right here, comes supposedly from the maxi single of alien nation i've never seen it in person but i'm going to go by the wikipedia and say that's from the alien nation maxi single and interestingly enough a rare herman rarebell right even though he's kind of on his way out of the band at this point got this song here on the b-side of alien nation and it's fun <laughs> let me know what you think we're going to close off the show here with the scorpions and this song is called Rubber Fucker.
closing off the show here today. <laughs> closing off part three of the odds and ends of 1993. I hope you enjoyed that. Clearly, I did. Let, but let, let's let's give a hand uh, for Herman Zay German, also known as Herman Rarebell, for even convincing the rest of the Scorpions to record that composition of his, Rubber Fucker. What's not to love, right? Man. <laughs> That's one if there's that real quick lull in the live show. If you're like in the first few rows, that's the one you yell out at the band because I would love to see there. If, if you ever can make that happen, make sure you got the camera rolling for it. But yeah, it's Rubber Fucker by the Scorpions, a B-side from the Face the Heat sessions. Hope you enjoyed that. I mean, dude, I, I pretty much love every Scorpion song that's ever existed that's not from an album called Eye to Eye. So, yeah, I give it a thumbs up. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, not just that song, but the whole episode. But let me know what you liked and what you didn't like. Or if you want to thank me for playing Rubber Fucker or anything else on this show, then my favorite person in the world is about to tell you how to do all that. So until part four, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10 and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.